there, I'm Chantrice King and you're listening to Welcome to the House, a podcast from the Afro-American Cultural Center at Yale that explores stories of the past, present, and future told by the Black people who know them best. He, his suggestion was just like, fly back to the U.S. now and get this root canal done. And I was like, no, I want to keep traveling. I'm not flying back to the U.S. Everyone has teeth. I'm sure, you know, you've done root canals and plenty of other people. I don't have special American teeth. You can do my root canal. Happy International Women's Day. To celebrate this day and what it embodies, we spoke with a young woman who grew up in many different countries all over the world. In total, she has been to 45 countries to date. When a moment of transition came, starting her PhD program at Yale to prepare, she did one of the things she knows best how to do, travel. More commonly, this period where one takes a break between ending one academic program and beginning another is referred to as a gap year, even though it doesn't always last a full 12 months. I'll let her tell you more about herself and her story. All right. Hi, um, my name is Ife Desimores. Um, I am now a first year PhD student here at Yale um, studying microbiology. And um, yeah, I was raised by a single mother and who works for the United Nations. And so I grew up in six countries. Um, I was born in New Jersey, then I moved to Miami, then Senegal, then Cameroon. No, sorry. From Senegal, where did I go? (laughs) It gets blurry. Um, Yeah, no, from Senegal, I went to Dominican Republic. Yeah, there we go. Then I went back to Miami. There we go. Yeah. And then I went to Cameroon, Tanzania, Hungary. Then I moved to the back to the U.S. for college. Um, And now then I took a gap year and now I'm here at Yale. So that's a bit of my background. (laughs) Great. And what are your some of your fondest memories of like living in all those places growing up? All right. Um. I have so many fond memories. Let's see. Um, The first thing that comes to mind is when I was living in Tanzania um, at the beginning of the school year, I don't know how customary this is for other schools, but so I always went to international schools where you really have people from all over the world. Um, It tends to be embassy children, other UN children, and then the elite of the country that you're in. And so we would always just have a sort of orientation where in Tanzania, our orientation would be, we'd go to the beach. Um, We literally would go to this like kind of like private island and we'd have a barbecue at the beach and have a beach day um, and all get to know each other, do this classic little icebreaker activities. Um, But I look back at that now and I just realized how amazing that was and how, yeah, it was really a privilege to like hang out at the beach for the first day of school. Um, so that's one of my fondest memories. Let's see. What else? What else? How did like how did sort of like being this person born in the United States and um, and being black inform your identity of self? Yeah, um, well, it was very confusing. I'm not going to lie. Um especially because I guess I didn't include in my background, but so my dad is from Nigeria and Germany and my mom is from Haiti. Um, And my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents emigrated to the US. So I do consider myself to be American first um, since I was born here and my parents are American, but also like, especially my mother's side, we are very much Haitian. Um, yes, like my grandmother still speaks, she speaks English, but she really speaks Creole, um, and French. Um, so my identity was always really, um, confused, um, since I was just sort of a melting pot. And even like when I would go, when I would move to a country, I'd always consider myself to be American, but then when I'd come back to the U.S., 
everyone would be like, oh, you're a foreigner. Um, so I was always confused. And then another thing, because you mentioned about being Black. So something interesting or different is that I don't think I realized this is going to sound weird, but anyways, I didn't really understand what it meant to be Black almost until I moved to the U.S. Um, I think living in like Senegal, Cameroon, um, Tanzania, these are all countries where there are a lot of Black people. Um, so it's just a very normal thing. There are a lot of Black people in the U.S. too, <laughs> but the majority is Black on the African continent. Um, and so yeah, there were some interesting dynamic changes, I guess, that occurred um, when I, for example, went um, to school in California um, versus when I was living in Tanzania. And even, for example, when I was living in Hungary, also, if I'm not making any sense, sorry to everyone. Um, but yeah, when I was living in Hungary, that's a very white country. Um, we, my mother and I were one of the only black people there. I remember my mom moved there first and I was still in Tanzania. And she sent me a message one day saying, oh my God, I saw another black person today. And I was like, no way, no way. And she said, it was myself in the mirror. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's great. Um, um yeah but interestingly interestingly enough it's not until I yeah moved to the U.S. for college that I really saw myself as being black um this is yeah that's the end of my answer <laughs> yeah what specifically about being in the United States sort of reminded you or taught you that you were black feel free to tell a particular story that highlights that for you? Um, so I guess, uh, yeah, they're just certain, as we all know at the moment, we're all talking about anti-racism and things like that. We just saw our great moment of white supremacy at the US Capitol. Um, so there's just a lot of, I would say that even I think on college campuses, I would say it's more like microaggressions that you may see. Um, so for example, I remember one day someone asked me what sport I played. And I was like, oh, like I like to play tennis. How about you? Um, and it's not until like a little after that that I kind of realized they met. They were assuming I was a student athlete because how else would I get into university? Um, if it weren't for my athletic ability. Um, and it was also just, yeah, when I first arrived to campus, there were a lot of like groups for like African-Americans and there was the Black Student Union and things like that. And I didn't fully understand why we needed that um, because I guess I grew up in this like international community where I did really feel like everyone was just a melting pot and we didn't really I didn't see much of those like identity groupings when I was growing up um, in my international community. It was really, everyone was super mixed together. Everyone did everything together. And I, it's not until actually that I was living in the US, I remembered that when I was in eighth grade, we had an English teacher um, who had just moved to Tanzania from the US. And he had made this comment saying he thought it was amazing that when we described each other, we didn't start by talking about race. And we were all like, I mean, why would we, why would we do that? Um, <laughs> we just didn't understand, but he came from the US where race seems to just like come first and be the first thing that people think. Whereas he said, I said, yeah, it's interesting. You guys describe each other by your features. You'll say something like, oh, you know, the girl who always wears the glasses or um, the girl um, who talks really loudly <laughs> rather than starting by saying like, oh yeah, the black person. Um, and so, yeah. 
Yeah, thanks. It's so interesting. I think particularly because like I have a lot of friends who also like went to international schools and like grew up on the continent through their parents' work. And it has been interesting to sort of like see them um, grapple with that about like, uh, like their own thoughts about like what it meant to go to those international schools and now see like their white counterparts like in their own nations or like in still in African nations and like what that means for their thoughts about like colonialism and imperialism and um, and whether they really were living, whether they really were experiencing sort of like a melting pot kind of like atmosphere or whether they was were, whether they were experiencing sort of like a schooling a schooling prompted by white domination in another space and like what what that meant so it's been really what interesting to like sort of like watch that and like hear people's different perspectives mm -hmm. oh. yeah that's really fascinating and now I have something to think about <laughs> <laughs> no um no I definitely like you know um the, the whole sort of like international school like I didn't even know that there were like schools run international schools run by white folks in African countries until I went to college and started meeting the folks who went to those schools and then like you know them being like yeah now I look back on that that was kind of wild right like and it was this own kind of like sort of like experience and stuff like that right. um, but all of that also re reminded me of can you tell us the story of your last name Ah, yes. Um, sure. So my last name is, well, to pronounce it properly, it would be to say Desamour, but I just say Desamours when I'm speaking English. Um, and it's, so it comes from the fact that my ancestors, I don't know how many decades or centuries ago at this point, um, but people back in France, for example, um, people's last names would be their jobs. So you'd have like marchand for, um, how do you say that in English? Merchant, um, charpentier, carpenter. Um, so if, but if you didn't have a trade job, if you were part of the bourgeoisie, your last name would just kind of be where you were from, the city, um, or something else not really sure and so my last name is that it was just like two lovers and they were called their last name became deux amours so two lovers and then over time and over migrating and etc it kind of transformed and turned into des amours um so the loves that's my last name and then it kind of goes with my first name um, which is Ife Dola, but I only go by Ife. Um, and Ife Dola is Yoruba. Um, so my dad is Nigerian. And it means that love brings prosperity. So I have a lot of love in my name. <laughs> Perfect. Lots of uh, love. Yeah, lots of love everywhere. Um, okay, so... Can you tell us how you sort of came about deciding to take a gap year? Yeah, absolutely. Um, honestly, I was very stressed undergrad and I knew I wanted to become a scientist and I knew I wanted to go to grad school, but I didn't want to burn out um, and I needed to do something for myself. Uh, so I, I just decided I'd definitely take a gap year, I'd take a break. Um, and originally I was just going on a two and a half month trip with my best friend um, to Southeast Asia. So we were going to Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. And while I was there, it was sort of like everything was falling into place in the perfect time. Um, I was literally, I was in a pool in Vietnam overlooking the ocean and scrolling on Facebook. <laughs> um, and I saw that a bunch of PhD programs dropped the GRE requirement. 
and I checked all of the programs that I wanted to apply to except for one dropped the requirement, which is when I realized that the only reason I was actually returning to the US was to take the GRE. And I just canceled my flight back kind of then and there. Um, and at that place I had met an American who was teaching yoga um, and she was traveling the world by teaching yoga. And I asked her, um, yeah, like, where did she train? Give me the information. And I looked up her school. There was like two spots left for the next month. And I just signed up to become a yoga instructor. And I booked my flight to India. It was all like in that moment. And then the next day I was kind of like, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> um, but that started this whole journey. I ended up spending seven months in Asia and traveling and having the time of my life. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. I love that story. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell us what you did, what you, what you learned on in that like seven months. Yeah. Oh, I learned so much. Um, way more than I learned in school. Maybe don't tell um, my mom, <laughs> but wow. I, so I guess I'll just go, obviously I learned yoga. Um, first of all, <laughs> which was kind of insane because I had done maybe five yoga classes before in my life and then I went to become a yoga instructor um so it was a steep learning curve um but that really helped me because I think like I had said I was burnt out from school I was overly stressed and the yogi the yogi lifestyle just like really helped me find my like center find my balance and deal with my anxiety actually um and so that was a huge thing that I learned was just like how to like let things go and go with the flow I was also a huge planner before like I would plan my day moment by moment and like having this trip where I literally just like canceled my ticket last minute and just didn't have any plans and was going with the flow and I realized oh wow it's like things work out it's not that bad you don't have to plan everything. Um, and that's been super huge for me. Um, but for some like more fun stories, um, let's see. So actually um, my first day of yoga school, I had a roommate um, and it was actually kind of fun because she was also on a gap year about to start a PhD program in molecular biology, which was just like, here we are in the middle of the rainforest in India to like people who are going into academia in biology specifically, it just felt very, very random. Um, and so she told me that the Dalai Lama was having some teachings at the end of our yoga um, course. And so after my like month long training, I went to Dharamshala which is the city or small town um, where the Tibetan refugees currently um, live in India. And I got to go to the Dalai Lama's teachings and then I actually got blessed by him, which was a whole other thing because I, um, I, met, this, I met this woman online to get into the temple and she had the coolest story ever. Um, she, is like 70 years old I think um and she's never had a job in her life she's just been traveling the world um she hitchhiked from Alaska all the way down to Brazil with her dog she was super cool and badass um and we still like write each other letters she's adorable um but so she lives there now and she knew exactly like where I should stand to get blessed by the Dalai Lama and she was like come come stand here like do this put your hand out now and she made it happen which was really really cool um so that was that was an experience um also in yoga school um my school was in a like national park and so there were all sorts of animals there 
Um, and one night our instructors told us like, go into your rooms, don't come out. That's all they said. Um, and we were like, you know, what's going on? But we didn't, we didn't know anything. And then all of a sudden there was, there were a lot of dogs on our um, campus as well. This dog comes to my window or like to my door and it's just like scratching at my door. And I opened the door, it was bloody. And then I texted my instructor. I was like, dude, what's going on? I've got this bloody dog in my room. Um, and my instructor was like, okay, make the dog leave. There's a leopard. That dog was just attacked by the leopard. And I was like, oh my God. Um, the dog ate six of our, I mean, not the dog, the leopard ate six of our puppies. We had 11 puppies, the leopard ate six of them. Um, it was insane. Uh, <laughs> so that's something that happened on my trip um and then after that <laughs> I so let's see I also since I became a yoga instructor and I also um you know I didn't save up for a seven month trip um so I decided that I'd actually like teach yoga um and I had just like a little moment where I kind of forgot my geography and I found a yoga instructor position like at a luxury hotel in the Himalayas. And my yoga school was in the Himalayas. So I was like, okay, great. Like it'll probably be a six hour drive to this hotel. Um, and I agreed to go like teach yoga there. And then I looked into how to get there and I had to take a plane and a 12 hour bus <laughs> and then another like six hour car ride. Um, so I was very wrong about the distance. Um, <laughs> so I got there late, <laughs> but that was also just like a whole other adventure. It was really, really gorgeous. Um, look up Ladakh, that's L-A-D-A-K-H. Um, it's really gorgeous. Um, so I was teaching yoga there. And that was super fun. Um, and then actually there was a couple who were managing the hotel and they had to leave early and they asked me to become the manager when they left. Um, and so then all of a sudden I was the manager of a luxury hotel in the middle of the Himalayas with like zero experience. <laughs> and I had a whole staff of like 15 people that I had to manage. Um, I was the youngest person there and I was also the only woman. And that was, I learned so much. Um, I learned how to do accounting. I learned how to resolve conflict between staff members. Um, I learned like, no, oh, I had to learn the geography of the area and like customer service. <laughs> like I learned everything. Um, and I also applied to grad school from that hotel and we had the worst internet ever. So I'd have to go up on the roof of the hotel at 3 a.m. and like try to write my grad school application. And it was freezing cold and I would like sit under the solar panel and just write my applications. Um, it was great. <laughs> but it worked out, here I am. That's incredible. Um, and so how many, how many places were you in, in those seven months? Um, not many. I decided to do more like quality over quantity. And I really wanted to, yeah, just like enjoy where I was, get to know the area. I feel like a lot of times when people are traveling, you know, it's like you have two weeks vacation, you're going to make the most of it. You're like, I'm going to go to these five countries, bam, bam, bam. Um, and that's way too fast. So, and the whole point of this was me not being stressed. So I did um, Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. That was in the beginning as planned with my best friend. Then I was in India for like three months, I think, um, or more. Um, and then I went to Indonesia for two months. Um, and that's all I did. So when I was alone, I just did two countries over five months. Um, and I could have, honestly, I could have done the whole thing in India. India is a huge country with so much diversity and so much to see. Um, 
but I really wanted to go to Bali. Um, so I did. That was another great thing about the trip. It's just like I could do what I wanted. Um, and I was like, I want, I want to go to Bali. So I'm going to go to Bali. And <laughs> I also super enjoyed being there. Um, and that was uh, another like, just like very relaxed. My like days in Bali were basically like, I'd wake up, have breakfast, go to the beach, eat, go to the pool, go back to the beach, watch the sunset. And like that, those are my days. And it was very relaxing. <laughs> How were you? Well, we know that you were, when you were in India, you were um, teaching yoga and then <laughs> became the manager. <laughs> um, who, like, I just, I'm trying to figure out how that even works. Like how you just transfer power that way. Like, oh, I have to be like, who were the guests in here? <laughs> um, actually there were like some very, uh, super interesting guests. Um, before I arrived also, actually there was like a movie that was being filmed there with some like very like prominent Indian Bollywood actors um, that everyone had like freaked out about. Um, I forgot the name of the guy and the woman, but they're, I'll look into it. There's like very big, um, but our clientele was, yeah, our clientele was half um, local and then half, I'd say Europeans. Um, but actually no, half, just half local, half international. Cause we had people from Indonesia come. We had people from like Japan. We had some Americans. Um, the Americans were quite funny. They were like, are you stuck here? Do you, do you need us to call the embassy? Like, do you need help? <laughs> um, Cause it was really, it was in the middle of absolutely nowhere. Um, the hotel was located in a village of like a hundred people. Um, and I, yeah, it was weird becoming kind of like a local there. Um, people, no one really spoke English besides my staff, but like the village was really welcoming and people would like invite me into their home. And I mean, I wouldn't really be able to talk to them. So I only knew one word in their local language, which I was told I could use to say anything really. It was um, Jule. And I could say, I could use that to say hi, bye, thank you, sorry, excuse me. Um, so <laughs> I would just sit there and kind of be like, Jule, Jule, Jule. <laughs> and then they'd be like, Jule, Jule. And I'd be like, Jule. <laughs> um, yeah. And actually, one night we had the king of the region come have dinner at the hotel. Um, and so it was, the hotel was at really high altitude, um, 16,000 feet. And so a huge issue is getting, um, oxygen. Ah, what's the word again? There's low oxygen levels. Um, and so you have to acclimate like the first three days there. Um, and so when the king came, he had us like I ate with him as well. He had us all eat with him and he offered us this like really sketchy drink. <laughs> um, like it was just like a local drink made with barley. Um, and with the altitude, like you can get drunk really fast. Um, and then a hangover is also like different at high altitude. Um, so I had one beer of this barley beer thing and the next day I was standing and I just passed out. Like I was standing and I fainted. That's how intense it was. Um, it was really very interesting. Um, don't recommend having alcohol at high altitude. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when people are traveling there, like what, what are they traveling there to do? That's a good question. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's really in the middle of nowhere, but it's gorgeous. Just like the scenery um, is absolutely gorgeous. And also there were some people that came to go see snow leopards. Um, you could go 
snow leopard sightseeing. And also to get to the hotel, you have to go over um, Gardungla, which is one of the highest um, motorway passes like in the world. Um, and then it's near the Siachen Glacier, which is the highest battlefield in the world. Um, and there is currently active conflict on the Siachen Glacier. Um, so those could be some reasons to want to visit. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, for, and then it's just, it's gorgeous. And oh, there are camels. Um, yeah, you know, it's just to see something different. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and like, what's something interesting that you learned or loved about the local community? I mean, I really loved just how welcoming they were and willing to just like sit and quote unquote talk to me when we weren't really talking since we couldn't understand each other. But it was just like, you know, like here you are and let's try to chat. Like, <laughs> just, I liked just how, yeah, it was just like very warm and very just like, oh, well. I see you are here for a long time and let's have some sort of interaction. I thought that was really cute. Um, and I wish I could, I could have learned more and been able to say more than just Julie. Um, but I also had a lot going on with the whole hotel. So um, didn't have that much time to learn another language. Oh, oh my God. I had, um, I had a like tooth problem and I had to go to root canal. And so I went to the dentist there and it was a very, <laughs> it was a very interesting experience. Um, I ended up, yeah, I, I got my root canal there. I also say like, wow, um, free healthcare is amazing. I paid $2 for my root canal. And the only reason I paid $2 was because I lost the form. And so they charged me extra. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think, and they did a good job. I mean, teeth are teeth, right? I came back to America and my dentist was like, yeah, this is a good root canal. This is fine. Um, but yeah, that was another, just like, I had to like, you know, going to the hospital there was just a whole other, ordeal because the mountains and driving through the mountains was just always stressful for me because like I said one-way road with two-way traffic in the high mountains is scary um and then it was just also interesting because I think I was the like one of the only Americans that the dentist had ever like, treated and he was just like really nervous about it he was just he was like, are you sure you don't want to like, um, wait until you go back to your country? You know, I don't have to do this. And I was like, dude, please have more confidence because <laughs> I'm letting you, you're doing this. Um, and I, yeah, I didn't want to wait because he, his suggestion was just like fly back to the US now and get this root canal done. And I was like, no, I want to keep traveling. I'm not flying back to the US. Everyone has teeth. I'm sure, you know, you've done root canals and plenty of other people. I don't have special American teeth. You can do my root canal. That's perfect. And I think that like, I like love the story because it's also like a, the ways in which we live in a country that sort of like paints everybody else's healthcare as like subpar, particularly if they're like not a white nation, but like even like other nations, like folks be like, France's healthcare isn't that great. It's like, it is. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's also universal. That's what you're saying, right? But like, also that you only pay like $2 and only because you lost the form, you know, also like illustrates as like our healthcare is exorbitantly expensive for no good reason. Like there's no good reason. Absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like um, when I actually, another thing was, so they prescribed me some painkillers. Um, and so I went up to the pharmacy and like gave the prescription and they gave me the pills. And I was just still standing there like waiting for my total, my like, 
you know, $30 out the pocket part. And the lady's like, why are you standing here? I was like, oh, like you didn't tell me how much. And she just looked at me like, what's wrong with you? It's free. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, sorry. Like, I'm not used to this. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, I'm American. Everything is exorbitantly expensive, particularly our healthcare. <laughs> exactly. And especially it's like, it's like, you know, I don't pay taxes here, right? Are you sure you want to? let me have free drugs and free health care like I didn't pay anything into your system <laughs> oh my god we're so oppressed <laughs> we're like I didn't pay for it I know mm-hmm. but I because I don't know some people sometimes think that I'm Indian and I was like should I show her my passport let her know I'm not <laughs> you're like I'm not trying to get over on anybody like whatever I'm gonna pay, I'm yeah. <laughs> it's like no it is a human right for all of us to have health care regardless of our citizenship regardless of our like tribe or community like wherever we are in the world if there is health care we should all have access to it let the people in power hear you <laughs> <laughs> i mean they know that's why they're <laughs> <laughs> yes true medicare uh, for all let's make it happen come on now um yeah great and so you know with all that you sort of were like doing at the hotel like how are you financing this experience yeah um so i or like i said so i originally saved up for like a two and a half month trip um which I like worked at the law library um, to during my undergrad. And then I got my security deposit back on my housing. So that was another good chunk um, of money. And yeah, life in Asia or especially like Southeast Asia was just extremely cheap. Um, when I was staying in Bali, for example, which was like actually considered to be expensive um, compared to Thailand and Cambodia. In Vietnam, um, my accommodation was seven dollars a night, and that included a really nice um, breakfast, like buffet every morning, um, and it had a pool, and it was close to the beach. Um, so my security deposit went far. <laughs> yeah, um, and then the little salary that I made from being manager also went far um and then I may have may have used my parents to buy me flights um because that was the most expensive thing but then I financed the rest myself and then when I was in Bali I also actually um signed with a modeling agency um so then I was also like modeling like once a week and and that financed my Bali portion I love how you casually like it. Like, and I was like modeling. Like, people can't see, but she's like, I was just modeling, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you learn about yourself? Hmm? What did I learn about myself? Um, one, I guess something cool that I learned was that I feel like I could just talk to anyone. Um, which is something that, I don't know, I think in, I guess like, yeah, in college and in high school, et cetera, like through our academic lives, we're always surrounded with people that are our own age. And so those are the people that we mainly talk to. Um, that's, or at least that was just like my experience. Um, and here I found myself, yeah, becoming friends with like, 70 year old woman and becoming friends with people really of all ages um which was kind of new for me like I wasn't I just wasn't used to I wasn't used to talking to what I considered to be adults other than for like official reasons and here I found myself yeah becoming I have a like 40 year old couple as a friend now and like all these people from different um different countries which I was used to but like yeah, really different walks of life. Um, and also something I think when you're living your everyday life, you're always just like so focused, like 
I like need to go to lab and then I need to go to the grocery store and then I need to like send this email and it's like, go, go, go. Um, but when you have no plans, um, it's amazing to just see like one, how open people are talking, how open people are to talking to each other, just like to complete strangers, like at breakfast or like sitting on a bus, waiting at the bus stop. You're just like talking to random people. And then also not only are you talking to them, but like, you're just like, oh yeah, you know, I was on my way here, but what you're saying sounds pretty cool. So like, yeah, sure, I'll come with you. Um, and just like change like whatever I had planned for the day and just like go. Um, which is how I found myself like on a different island one day. Cause I just like met this group of people and I was like, oh, they're pretty cool. And I was planning on going, it was at the, <laughs> it was at the pier, literally. Like I was going on one boat to Gilly. Um, I was going to Gilly Air, um, but I met these people. I was talking to them. They were all going to Gilly Tea. And I was like, all right, I guess I'll go to Gilly Tea. And I just like went on the other boat instead. Um, and like that, that's just so cool to just, like make connections so quickly and to just be willing to go with whatever life gives you. Yeah. For Black women out there, like what would be your tips for taking a gap year? Ooh, well, one, bring your hair products because, oh my God. <laughs> Number one, bring your hair products. I went there with like braided hair because it was only two and a half months and I didn't have any of my curl products and that was a mess and I couldn't find any I was asking everyone they were like you have to go to Australia I was like I'm not going to Australia for hair products <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah bring your hair products um but two I mean I think I see like a lot of posts being like um is it safe to travel as a black person to like this country or that country, which I think is, you know, perfectly fair, like do your research. Um, but I, I didn't do my research. I personally have just, I guess, the mentality of, um, the mentality that honestly, most places are, I feel like I want to choose my words. Um, but so, I think most places are less racist than the US is my opinion from going to 45 countries. Um, and so if you can live in the US, you can probably travel to wherever you'd like. Um, that's, that's my two cents. Um, and obviously everyone has different experiences um, and racism is everywhere, but that's my, um, personal experience so I'd say go where your heart desires do your thing um and yeah I mean most people are just people are interested in like yeah learning about other people learning about different cultures and if you're open to like talking about your culture and if you're open to like sometimes having weird questions because Sometimes someone's like literally never met a black person before and they ask really ignorant questions sometimes. But if you're open, I think it's also about, I mean, sometimes I think it's about perception too. Like if you perceive the question to be malicious, then you might have more of an issue than if someone's actually just like being curious. Um, and that's all personal. Um, but if you, I think like if you have an open mind, you can have a great time. Open mind, great time. Also, uh, like I do like this, um, like your thoughts. Like it's like if you can live in the U.S., <laughs> like what can these other places <laughs> do to you? Yeah, I think it's also so interesting. It's like I'm always like, okay, on a scale from zero to the United States of America, how racist is it? <laughs> um, be clear like there are definitely some countries that I wouldn't like go back to because I just am like I just don't got the time I'm not interested mm -hmm. um yeah is not 
I don't want to go back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I don't want to be paying to be anywhere and it's like not super fun. I would do that in the United States. I would not like to <laughs> elsewhere. Mm -hmm. It's horrible. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah. And like, these are things are all subjective and totally like exactly on people's experiences. Like, like I always want to make sure that black people feel like if the if you feel like the question is malicious, it is malicious. <laughs> yeah, right. Like if you feel that way, then totally. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, You're and not to educate people or any other kinds of things. People can date ten thousand year old cave paintings. They can figure out what is inappropriate. Mm? <laughs> like anything <laughs> out of that, mm? they know what's going on. Mm? Okay, thank you. Mm? <laughs> But also, um, my last question is, um, how are you sort of like taking this seven months all over, you know, um, in Southeast Asia? Like, how are you taking the lessons and experiences that you've um, gathered through that journey and incorporating it into your, in your life now? Yeah, I, I mean, I think I kind of touched on this. I'm really trying to live a little more in the moment of course it's a little harder one we're in a pandemic um so that makes things everything harder um I feel like you know you have to plan things more in a pandemic um but I've been trying to yeah like for example my rotations I'm kind of like trying to go with the flow a bit more instead of like having all four of my rotations planned in September I was like let me like take it like one by one and like see what see like where my interest takes me um and see like what Yale has to offer um also just I think a huge thing was um connecting a bit more with nature um so I've been like yeah trying to go on like more hikes or just like walking outside and looking at the sky which seems like super simplistic but it's just like enjoying the moment enjoying my surroundings um and being in the moment is a huge thing so I also I am terrible at like answering the phone because I don't pay attention to my phone at all I'm like I don't want to spend my day just like on social media or whatever else it is that I used to do on my phone um I have no notifications on whatsoever and yes I think it's great um and it's a little harder like I said again we're in a pandemic and there's not much to do so I don't feel like there's a lot of like normally like things that I could be doing instead of being on my phone and right now I don't feel like there are that many things I could be doing instead of being on my phone but I'm still trying to like rather than be on my phone I'll read a book or I'll do some yoga or I'll okay, this is on my phone, call my mom. But like, it's like, I'm not scrolling on Instagram. <laughs> like, you know, there's a difference. Like, I barely text at this point, all my conversations. I'm like, give me a call. I don't want to sit on my screen. Um, so yeah, those are some things. Um, yeah. Excellent. Um, and then can you like, just explain your like, um, your like work your PhD program for folks who are like I don't understand sure. what that means <laughs> yeah of course um yeah so um I'm getting a PhD in the BBS program which is the biological and biomedical sciences program and um and then that's like separated into these different tracks so I'm currently in the microbiology track um and that's because pre-pandemic I'd always loved infectious diseases um, and so my goal is to become an infectious disease scientist and research. Oh, we'll figure out what specifically about infectious diseases I want to research. I think right now I'm interested in actually um, vaccines, um, but we'll see where the PhD takes me. Um, and yeah, that's kind of overall it. So the first year you do different rotations where you work in different labs um, to try to figure out which one, like who's a good mentor for you and what's a good lab environment for you and also a good um, research topic for you. And so, yeah, that's your first year doing rotations. And then at the end of it, um, 
you choose your favorite lab, hopefully they choose you too, and then you start your long process of doing a thesis project in that lab, which can take like five years. Um, so I'm gonna be here for a while. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what it is overall. Hey. And then at the end of it, people start calling you doctor. <laughs> Excellent. Um, um, is there anything that I didn't ask you that you want to share? Um, no, I think you you covered a lot. And anything else, people can read my book that I am trying to write, which I haven't written yet. I have like a couple, a couple pieces of it, but I'm writing a book about me growing up in 45 countries. And um, there's going to be a lot of this, but over my whole lifetime. So if you like the way I talk, stay tuned. <laughs> Even, that's incredible. I love that you just dropped that at the end. Like I just <laughs> said it with that at some point. But <laughs> I'm like, anything else? You're like, yes, I'm writing a book about me growing up in 45 countries. What? <laughs> so wow. Well. No, definitely going to some, like plug that and, um, at the end of the interview. I think um, I maybe was afraid to say it because if I say it, then I really have to do it. But then I decided that everyone can hold me accountable. So, <laughs> And what will people be in the meantime, where will be people be able to find updates about the book? Um, they won't. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll post about it on my Instagram when it comes to fruition, which is just my name. Ife Desamores, I-F-E-D-E-S-A-M-O-U-R-S. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Welcome to the AFAM House. This podcast is a project of and sponsored by the Afro-American Cultural Center at Yale. Special thank you to our guest, Ife Desamores for sharing her story with us. To support this podcast, please sign up for our Patreon, which um, there's a link in the bio. Like this podcast, rate it wherever you listen to podcasts, and share it with all that you think could benefit from the stories we tell here.